0: A terrifying encounter with part of a ghost. A spectral spirit warns a young woman of an upcoming tragedy. And then we are going to travel to the deserts of the southwest United States. It may seem like an odd choice, but if you want to see Bigfoot, that's really where you need to go. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. (laughs) Hey everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I got a lot. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're not going to be chit-chatting too much here. Actually, we're not going to be chit-chatting at all. We're done with the intro. Let's go ahead and jump into the first story. Now, the first story is really short, but it's super creepy, and it's one of the. There's a hotel that is listed as being haunted, and it only has one sighting, but the sighting is so creepy. That's all you need. We're going to Arizona. We've, we, weren't we just in Arizona? Oh, yeah, the big skeleton dude and the, uh, the Phantasma Colorado, the, the camel one. In Arizona, there's a hotel called the Lost Trail Hotel. In 1976, the year I was born, actually. Pretty awesome. I'm a little baby during this story. I'm just like a newborn baby. I'm like, eh. Uh, The whole story, I just want you to imagine me crying and pooping my pants, or my diaper. So anyways, that aside, we're in the Lost Trail Hotel. The year is 1976. Hey, wait, that was the year I was born. I'm just joking. Okay, so, 1976, there's a couple sleeping at the Lost Trail Hotel. And they hear a, just a scream. That hurt my throat. They heard this screaming in the hallway, and they're like, what the hell is that? So they hop out of bed, they open the door, and when they look down the hallway, they see a severed woman's head just floating, floating in the middle of the hallway, long black hair, bright red lips, eyes full of pain and fear, and an open mouth. (gasps) And they're watching. They're just looking at this dumbfounded. And the head slowly begins to fade away. And as it's fading away. <sighs> that is terrifying. That is the only ghost. Again, ghosts walking around in the middle. You know, walking around the middle of the night. That doesn't scare me. A, a severed human head. Screaming in pain. Just floating there. Even if it's laying on the ground, it could be sitting in front of the television on the couch, screaming in pain. It's so terrifying. Because then you start thinking, they they don't know where the head came from. They don't know who it was or anything like that. What happened to this person? What is happening to this person now? Are they stuck in some sort of hellish landscape where they're just a screaming head for eternity? Isn't that a comic book or the name of a band or something like that? But it's just horrifying and it doesn't specifically there's two ways you can picture it you can picture it as a if someone was wearing like a, a green screen suit and everything was chroma keyed out so you just see like a head floating there or most likely there was like guts hanging out from the bottom of this head but whoever this was whatever this is for eternity is just a screaming head i bet you that it's some horrible soul like trapped in the hell dimension. And Satan's like, dude, you know what? You just just give me, dude. Just give me five minutes of peace. <sighs> it's just It's been screaming for like 80 years down there. And he's like, oh my god, I'm going to lose my mind. So he's just like, that's it. Here you go. Throws it up onto Earth. And it's like, ah. And Satan's like, oh my god, five minutes of peace. And then he hears it start rematerializing. He's like, oh, I hate my job. It sucks. You know how hard it is to run a marketing firm when there's a screaming head next to you? Anyway, so I thought that story was worth covering. I find it absolutely terrifying. The next story we're going to talk about is an interesting one. And it actually is going to lead into a story we do tomorrow. But it's a complete story. I don't like doing two-parters. But it's just kind of a lead-in. We're in Southern California. And there is a house known as the Harlow House. And it's known that because Jean Harlow used to live there with her husband, Paul Burns. Some of you are already like, well, uh, I know what this story is. So Gene Harlow lived there with Paul Byrne. And, you know, they had a weird relationship where they loved each other, but he was also super abusive. He was small, and there was rumors that he was impotent. And Gene Harlow was like this bombshell movie star. Apparently he felt inadequate, but it was this very, very stormy relationship. He beat her a lot. He ended up eventually, from punching her so much, he caused her kidneys to fail. That's what eventually killed her. But before she died, he ended up shooting himself. And she was totally like heartbroken. She tried killing herself and all this stuff. He killed himself in his house. Now we're gonna fast forward a few years, where a new homeowner bought the house. And you know he's uh, this. It's in this is down in Southern California. It's in basically around Hollywood, a very very posh area. New guy buys the house, and he has a young friend. They used to date, but they're not dating anymore. This young woman, she's like, he uh, dude was out of town. And the new owner was out of town, and she's like, hey, can I uh, spend the night there, you know? And the dude's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm in New York for the weekend. Go ahead, stay there. So she goes into the house, and she's sleeping. And in the middle of the night, she's woken up. She doesn't know why, but she just, like, wakes up with a start. And she sees in her bedroom a short ghost. And she recognizes him immediately. She recognizes it as the ghost of Paul Byrne, because she also works in Hollywood. And he was a big agent. And she knew that this was previously his house. And he's now running around in the bedroom. Just frantically, like, bumping into stuff. Opening stuff. Just like, just like running around her bed. She's flipping out. She jumps out of bed. Dodges him. Like, steps over him. Goes out of the bedroom. And she, there, she's on the second story. I guess I should have mentioned that earlier. She's on the second story. And you have to go down these stairs to get to the bottom. Which is how houses normally work. But at the bottom of the stairs, she sees a horrible sight. She sees a body tied to the bottom banister. And she can't tell if it's her or the homeowner in New York. She knows it's one of them. In her mind, she's looking at it. And she knows it's one of them. And she's thinking, I have to be dreaming. Like That might be me and I'm here. But she has an emotional connection to that body. And it is a body because it's not just someone tied to a banister. It's someone tied to a banister. Their throat is slit wide open. They're just drenched in blood. But she has to walk down the stairs because the little dude is still banging into stuff in the bedroom. She's terrified. She walks down the stairs past the body, just slumped over. And she still can't see its face or doesn't want to see its face. But she still knows it's either her or the homeowner. She's like, I need a drink. But she hadn't really been in the house before. She couldn't find the bar. This is a true story by the way. She couldn't find the bar. She has something in her head tell her, look by the bookcase. And she goes to the bookcase and there was a hidden bar, like a little private bar behind the bookcase, like it moved over like straight James Bond style. And she makes herself a drink. Now, as she starts to make herself drinks, she still hears the noise upstairs of whatever the little ghost dude bumping into stuff. And she can still sense that body still on that banister. And she's like, I'm straight up dreaming. I'm just going to drink until I pass out. As she's drinking, she's looking around and she sees like this gaudy wallpaper. And she starts peeling at it. And this is like by the bar. She starts peeling at it. And she's just kind of like trying to keep her mind thinking of anything else other than the horror that's going on around her, she eventually drinks herself to sleep. She wakes up the next morning and there's no body tied to the banister. The house is quiet. And she's like, well, it it just, I don't know what happened. And she's like, I I must've just been dreaming. Like I must've been sleepwalking or something. And then, but she wasn't dreaming because when the homeowner came back, he was like, hey, who was in my bar? Who was peeling out this wallpaper? And she's like, I gotta tell you this story. I got to tell you the story of what happened. Now she, this woman told us, she was really into the paranormal and she started telling the story around town. There's multiple witnesses that she told this story to. When the homeowner came back and he's like, yo, what happened? She told him about the dream. Now the homeowner was Jay Sebring and her name was Sharon Tate. And three years later, they were both murdered a mile away by the Manson family. And the story has always gone like this. Was that a premonition of her own violent death? She and when she would tell the story, she would say, I don't know who the body was at the bottom of the stairs. I felt like it was either me or Jay. She would tell the story around town. There's multiple accounts of the story being told. And three years later, they were lashed together as the Manson family were killing them. They were tied together. Very, very interesting story. The idea is that Paul, he beat his wife, but he also loved her. He just had these horrible issues. The theory is, is that Paul was a loving person, but he just had like inadequacy issues and he took him out on his wife and he was trying to warn Sharon Tate of the danger that was coming. That's why he was woke her up that night. But who knows? The first thing is like, did she make up the story? Did she somehow make up a story that kind of foretold her own death? Did it really happen and she actually told it to people? Or did people just make it up on their own? When I said it was a true story, it is a story that has circulated through Hollywood. People have told the story. I personally believe it. I think that that's possible to have a premonition like that. That's a quite horrifying one. But yeah. I think the most interesting part is that she couldn't identify the body, but she had a feeling it was either her or Jay Sebring. And it was more of just an essence, an emotional essence of a, of a dead body rather than, like, seeing Jay Sebring, like, I think that would have been less creepy rather than just seeing almost, like, a soul dead. And she knew it was a soul belonging to her or her ex-boyfriend, the person she had a close emotional connection to. Very, very creepy story. And that ties into a story we're going to do tomorrow as well. We're going to do a little paranormal story about the Manson family. Very, very interesting one that I've been looking into for quite a while. But let's go ahead and move on to our main story today. Now, I said in the intro... Generally, Bigfoot is known to be a, a forest creature. You have, like, the Yeti in, up in Canada, and you have the... No, sorry. You have the Yeti in, like, the Himalayas, and you have the Wendigo, which is more of, like, a ghost type of thing. You can A human can become a Wendigo. It's more like a curse, but that's, like, in Canada. But Bigfoots are generally known in California, Oregon, Washington. And then you have, like, swamp Bigfoot-type creatures down south, and then you have some other... Bigfoot-type creatures in Montana. But it's funny because some of the biggest Bigfoot sightings by hundreds of people at a single time have been in the desert. So it makes you think, like, if Bigfoot exists, are there different subspecies that are acclimated to different climates? Oh, I bet you guys are impressed I said that word correctly. And I used it correctly as well. In the 1950s in Fontana, California, they built this huge raceway. It's just all flat land. You can drive as fast as you want. There's no cops. Not like there's cops in NASCAR. They're like Tony Stewart would have won the race if he didn't get pulled over on the third lap. Anyways, they build this huge raceway out there. Now, people would go to see the race. That's not true. They'd go to see cars crash. I used to be a big NASCAR fan, but I just I don't have time to watch sports anymore. They'd go to watch the race. So it was basically just like this big, flat raceway, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, it would have been flat. They don't have hills and, like, loop-de-loops. It's not a Hot Wheels track. But anyways, so the people would be out there to watch the races. And they would see Bigfoot. Bigfoot just walk on by. Now, it would be off in the distance. It wouldn't be, like, at the concession stand. One popcorn, please. They're like, sir, how are you going to pay for this? Ah! Pays with him for, like, goat pelts. They'd see him, like, walking in the distance. But you would have 50, 100 people sitting there, watching a... And then just in the distance, you just see a Bigfoot walk by. And it was so common in the area they nicknamed it the Speedway Monster, which is a badass name. That's way better than Bigfoot. Speedway Monster. I'm sur- there should be at least ten bands named that. At least there should be a governor named that, Governor Speedway Monster. So, anyway, speed- You'd see the Bigfoot guy just walk in the distance, and it happened fairly regularly. Now, of course, you're going to say, "How come no one took a picture of it?" I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. In the same area in 1952, these stories all in- interestingly involve very aggressive Bigfoots. They're not just kind of like walking lazily through the woods, all blurry. That's a joke. I actually stole that joke from a comedian. Uh, I don't remember his name. He's a really funny comedian. But anyway, so they don't normally just walk through the woods and stuff like that. These ones are quite aggressive. So in 1956, this boy's walking home. This is creepy. These are all, actually, all these stories are creepy. These are creepier than the normal Bigfoot stories. And that's why I picked them. Because I don't just like talking about stuff that's just kind of lame. The boy's walking home. Just da 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 He has, like, his little fishing pole on. It's 1956. So he has his fishing pole on his back, a little tackle box. All of a sudden, huge, hairy arms reach out of the bushes and grab onto him. And try to pull him into the foliage. And the boy gets away. And runs home and goes, Mom, Mom, giant hairy man tried to pull me into the bushes. And the mom's like, That's weird. Your Uncle Jimmy's at work. But <laughs> I, that story is creepy because the idea of a creature, tr- like, what was it going to do to the kid? Eat him? Like, sell him into, like, Bigfoot slavery? We don't know. But what's interesting, uh, wh- what I kind of think about that is how did this boy get away from a Bigfoot? There are these massive creatures. And how does a Bigfoot hide in a bush? I mean, it would, if maybe if it was like an eight foot hedge, he might have a chance. That would actually explain why the Bigfoot wasn't able to pull the kid in, because the pull, kid kept like hitting the thick branches of the bush. Bigfoot's like, can't get him, angle him right. And the boy's like, get, a, get, a, and he runs away. Uncle Jimmy, mommy told you to stop that. So, anyways, now, oh, in that same year, these are all report. These are all reported in the local newspaper. The same year, a girl was sitting in her car in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. yeah right i don't i think she was probably doing something else but she's apparently innocently sitting in her car in the middle of nowhere this creature smashed through her driver's side window and tried to pull her out and she gassed it and took off and the creature's like shaking its hand in the air get you next time now again i mean maybe these big feet have like less upper body strength i don't know But I think it probably should have really just like ripped your arm off of its socket. I'm glad it didn't. I'm just saying that those stories can kind of be taken with a grain of salt. The next story we have in that area, 1975, Boy Scouts just hanging out. Doing Boy Scout stuff, cooking marshmallows in the middle of the night, telling ghost stories. Bigfoot just walks through the middle of their camp. Just trashes the place. You can imagine all these kids are like, isn't this fun? We're out in the middle of nowhere and we got all this chocolate and these marsh. I mean, just leave waste of the camp. Didn't kill any of the Boy Scouts. But I mean, that would, that, that's just. That's just being a dick, dude. Like, you could have went around their camp. Their camp wasn't three miles long. It was basically big enough to hold 12 young boys. And you had to walk through the middle of it. Tore everything up. But the boys ran back to town and said, Hey, our camp got destroyed by a Speedway Monster. And the cop's like, that is such a badass name. He's, like, writing it down. On the police report, he trials, like, a little car with, like, flames coming off of it. We're still in the... Southwest, and now we're at the Borrego Badlands. Now this is a place that when it's very inhospitable. There's a bunch of like deep underground caves. There's a lot of canyons and crevices and things like that. And when Spanish missionaries came to the area, the natives in the area were like, "Hey, welcome! Like you're you know, let's talk, let's chat, we can do this stuff." But don't go to the river. Spanish missionaries are like, "Why can't we go near the river?" And he's like, "Because there's a bunch of big feet down there, and they'll totally mess you up. We don't even go there. They're hairy devils, is what we call them." And the the Spanish dudes are like, okay, yeah, here. They're like, we won't go down there. And they didn't. They didn't. They very wisely were like, these people have been here for a while. They probably know something we don't. In 1876, though, as more Europeans started to pour into the area, gold rush and all that stuff, they did start going to the river. They're like, hey, you know, let's go get a drink of water. And the Native Americans like, "Mm -mm." single tear coming down their face. They're like, no, don't, don't do that. Prospectors are like, whatever. I'm going down to the river. (laughs) Of course. People started disappearing. First sighting was, in 1876, dudes, so dudes walk into the river, and it's weird, actually, maybe these guys do have something. He sees a creature, an inhuman creature, with the face of a human, but a big hairy body, staring at him from some bushes. It was, it was Uncle Jimmy's ancestor in the bushes, and the creature's like, no, I'm Bigfoot. Dude runs away. <laughs> okay, he didn't, he didn't talk about it, obviously. But. So as civilization began to grow in that area, people started disappearing. People started dying and their bodies being found horribly mutilated. And the, le- the, the Europeans, at this point, they would have been the Americans. They had heard the legends of the hairy devils, but they didn't believe them. But since people started dying or disappearing, the legends, people are like, we better, like, there's something about this. People have said they've seen him hiding in the bushes. People have said, "Help me, help me, and die <laughs> we can't find him like so it was interesting too because one of these in around this time these two this was in the local newspaper, these two men came across a giant creature he was just sitting on a rock, and they said say you know typical description he had the face of a human but the body of an ape, and they looked at him and they didn't know what to think of it. And they begin to address him. First, they try talking to him in English. Then they try talking to him in Spanish. And then they try talking to him in the native tongue in the area. Very learned prospectors. And the creature stands up and starts walking towards them. And at that point, they're like, okay, first contact is over. They pull their guns out and he runs away. But because they're having these issues, and so they're, of course, report, hey, we saw one of these things. They're real. They're these giant creatures. People begin trying to hunt them and kill them because they're putting two and two together. We moved into the, We were warned to stay away from the river. We were warned about hairy devils. We're seeing them, and people are getting murdered. So people try, go to start trying to shoot these things. In 1888, these two guys, they are like, let's go kill it. Or all of them. We don't care. We're going to go out there. Straight up, I'm Rambo. You're the Terminator. And the other guy's <laughs> like, what do those words even mean? And the dude's like, I don't know. Anyways, just go with it. Let's load up on bullets. And then he turns, and he goes, I'll be back And everyone in the saloon is totally silent. They're like, we don't get the reference. It's 1888. He's like, whatever. He walks out. So they both walk out. Rambo and the Terminator walk out. And they come across one of these things. And they gave an interesting description. They said, same thing, face and body like an ape. But they go, the way that it climbed was pure ape. They said, I mean, just it moved up. They were watching it climb up a canyon completely unhindered. Like, it... Grabbing on a rocks, moving up as fast as a monkey can climb up a tree. They were completely flabbergasted. And so they shot it. They opened fire on the thing. They shot it. They killed it. The body weighed 400 pounds. They drag it back to town. Someone steals the body. So that story, you can say, well, that probably didn't happen. Or somebody could have stolen the body. Now, there's always been that conspiracy that the Smithsonian Institute is hunting or like trying to find giant mummies and close up the vaults and stuff like that. And we'll cover that on a later episode. But there's always been this story that there is a part of the scientific community that actually goes out, goes, oh, Bigfoot sighting? Yeah, let me see what you got. And then they destroy the evidence for whatever reason. We'll cover that on a later episode. The last big sighting we have is in 1964. So it's been a while. They may have been sighted on and off, but this is the last one that I saw. A father and son were walking around in the area and all of a sudden rocks started falling on them. And they're like, that's weird. This wasn't on the weather report. And there was a, a Bigfoot, a hairy devil, just throwing rocks at them and they ran away. So, I mean, maybe after the, the last one got shot, they're like, hey, maybe we should stop mutilating people. They're just going to keep hunting us down. We'll just throw rocks at them because it's fun and it's all we can do because we're big feet. But to end this story off, we're going to go... To the Mojave Desert. So we're still in the deserts of America. And this one is going to be a little more high tech. Because we're visiting Edwards Air Force Base. In the 1970s it's Edwards Air Force Base. So you have these young soldiers out there. Young airmen. It's a night They're working guard duty. They got their night vision goggles on. Or night vision binoculars. Whatever, whatever they got night vision technology back then. They're looking out over the desert. They would see Bigfoot walk by. What? Because they have that gait. They have that unmistakable movement where they're huge and they walk like a confident ape. They don't like kind of slouch over. They just have this weird gait to them. And the servicemen would start to, you know, first you'd see it and you wouldn't tell anybody. You'd be like, uh, out on the perimeter, I saw I saw something. But you wouldn't say that. And then eventually, after seeing it a couple of times, you would mention it to someone you trusted. And they would go, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll see him late at night sometimes. Now, you may see them during the day as well, but when you're you're looking over the desert with night vision goggles, it's really going to pop up. It's really going to show. There was reports that the creatures would walk up to the base. There were reports that the creatures would walk through the base, and oddly enough, and they couldn't figure out how they were doing this, underneath Edwards Air Force Base, they had, like, maintenance tunnels. There were sightings of the Bigfoot creature in the maintenance tunnel, Now, seeing a Bigfoot across a field would be terrifying. Seeing a Bigfoot in a bush would be horrifying. But I don't think of anything that would be a creepier encounter than being in a building with a Bigfoot. Because there's nowhere to go. You're in a long tunnel with a creature whose stride is three times yours. He will catch you. But the Bigfoot would just walk away. When the enlisted men would report this to their commanding officer, the story goes, now this could all be fake, this could all just be rumors, but this, the story goes is that these enlisted, enlisted men would tell, talk to their officers and say, I'm seeing these weird things through these goggles. Like, And I'm pretty sure that guy over there, who's still pissing himself, just saw one in the tunnels under the base. And the story goes, the officers would say, yeah, don't ever shoot him. Don't ever harass them. This conversation is classified. That's the end of it. I don't want to hear about it again. And the story goes that these creatures are actually picked up on the security monitors. Because they're around the base. They're on the perimeter of the base. They're under in the maintenance tunnels where, of course, they're going to have cameras. And seen it walking through the middle of the base. They're all being picked up on cameras. All the footage is taken. Shipped off somewhere. Classified. Now, just because something's classified, once someone leaves the military and it's been like 15 years, they may tell the story and stuff like that. They could still get in trouble for it. But it doesn't necessarily mean the story's never going to get out there. Is that story true? I don't know. Now, if that story is true, if there are military videotapes of Bigfoot creatures moving around their bases, that would be the best evidence that Bigfoot ever existed because you'd have it come from a place where they're not, it's not like from a 7-Eleven where some teenagers like messing with the video cameras and telling his friend to like walk around in a monkey suit outside. These are military security cameras. They're not going to run them through a video editing program. But if we have a group that comes in and goes, hey, nice Bigfoot body. Hey, nice Bigfoot hair. Oh, you, you got those prints. Let's take them to the lab and see what it is. And then they just send back dog hair and say it's just dog hair if that group exists within the US government is that where those tapes are being sent stored somewhere to keep the truth of a separate species from the rest of humanity deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be your email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio twitter is at Jason o. Carpenter. Dead Carpenter Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy true crime podcast you don't have to listen to it every day but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.